All right. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for this day and for the opportunities that it provides as we continue our journey through Acts. We ask that you open our hearts and minds and ears to what you will teach us today. In Christ's name, amen. amen. So after the 8.30 service, Brian came up to me today and he was like, Gavin's out of town. How are we going to do this? Like, yeah, there's someone else here who has a degree in this. Um, no, I, I did none of the prep for this. Gavin, like this summer we talked about it. I think it was like, what do you want to do? He's a wonderful teacher. He's obviously a really smart guy. So I was like, hey, why don't we teach through the book of Acts? We talked about it. And he just was off and running. He's planned all this out. He handed me his stuff. It's all up here. And so uh, when he comes back next week, I won't be here. So y'all need to be like, you again? Where's Al? Like, so y'all, just for my ego, you need to tell him what a wonderful job I did today. Uh, completely plagiarizing him. So who remembers where we dropped off last week? Were you raising a hand, Thomas? No. Oh, okay. So we are uh, still Pentecost. This is Peter's second speech. Uh, we only had a handful of handouts. Here's one more over here. Maybe, oh, no, that's Keen. Everything's going to be on the screen. And so if you remember, let's back up. We talked about wonder and amazement. We talked about... Um, get back there. It's the healing of the beggar, remember? Um, the healing of the beggar outside on the temple steps. And then we had this discussion of uh, wonder and amazement, how the, the amazement was more than just like being surprised, but like a, a change of a worldview, right? Which is important because we're going to talk about that in a minute when we get to Peter's second speech. So that's the setting. Peter had the first speech at Pentecost. The uh, Holy Spirit came down. Then they immediately went and healed this person. And then we pick up, maybe, somewhere, with Peter's second speech. So in Acts, that happens a lot. Like something happens and there's a speech. And so here, um, who would like to read, um, starting in 11, going through um, 16, Acts 3, 11 through 16, yeah. Okay, so what do we hear in this speech? What's Peter saying? And now you don't believe. You don't believe. You messed up. 
Yeah, and so here again, what's another time where Peter had to stand up and be like, y'all, we are not the crazy ones, right? He starts that. This kind of echoes his first speech where he has to get up and be like, you know, we're not drunk. Remember uh, his first speech when they're speaking in tongues? There was this concern that like something weird's going on, these people are whatever, and Peter had to stand up and reassure. So here, they healed someone that caused an uproar, right? And so Peter has to stand up and reassure, hey, we're not crazy. We're doing this. So you messed up. Say a little bit more about that. What's Peter saying? Yeah, for my money, that phrase, you have killed the author of life, it's one of the most powerful things in Scripture, right? Like, think about that. They tried to kill the author of life. It's not, so Peter, at this point, is not just saying you killed a guy. He's not just saying you killed someone who, you know. Yeah, it's not just the political thing that some people thought it was. Here was a threat to, to Caesar. It's, it's not even just the Messiah. Like, Peter here is directly linking Jesus as God, not just Son of Man, Son of God, but the author of life. So, Solomon's portico. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the the map, and the the healing happened outside. Now we've stepped into the temple, right? What do you think is um, any meaning or symbolism there? with the location of where this takes place. Yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem that they are. And so here, there's a sense, right, in the Pentecost event, right, one of the big things we talked about there is kind of the universal nature. Every tongue, remember it was all the languages that lined up with the languages from the Hebrew Scripture. Right? So there's this idea of the undoing of Babel, the undoing of the scattering of, of the people. And so it goes from the universal, now it starts to become more particular. There's a healing on the, the doorstep of the temple. And now Peter walks into the temple. And so he's in the belly of the religious establishment. And he starts to say, you know, you've killed the author of life. This, Yeah, Brian. Yeah, this is like two months from the crucifixion. Three months, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Bible math is that math doesn't always math. So... Yeah, Pentecost, right? We talked about Pentecost was a Jewish holiday that was 50 days after Passover. And so if we line up our math with the Passover is roughly Easter, and then it's 50 days after that. Um, Seven times seven is 49 and not 50. And so that math doesn't always math either because Pentecost for us is seven weeks after um, Easter Sunday. But yeah, it's happening within that time frame. 
his servant Jesus. So we're getting into to some of the language. Um, this is talking about who they killed, the author of life. Here, um, Gavin argues, I agree, that child or son is more apt than just servant because this becomes particularly important when we get into arguments over Christology, which aren't happening yet, right? Two months after this whole deal, no one's really worried about like how are God and Jesus and all this related. Like That becomes really important in about 200 years. Uh, but right now, they're not super worried about that. But the language around this, the translations around this, becomes very important when people are starting to figure out um, who Jesus is, how Jesus relates to God, how the Trinity relates to itself. Um, what do you all think about a translation of servant versus son? Yeah? Yeah, that is interesting to even think about, like, son. And that, that's another, like, distinction that becomes important a couple hundred years later when we start to argue over... Not, well, we'll get to that. I mean, yeah, gendered language in the church, we could spend the next 45 minutes talking about that. Uh, Jesus was obviously a man, um, and that's the only gender we know for any part of the Trinity. Well, actually, no, uh, the Holy Spirit. Is referred to as a she, so so we know a gendered language around that. Uh, God, we don't. We have in the church started using he, and that's it is what it is. We try to change things some, and it becomes a roadblock for some. Uh, what I was getting at more specifically is, I have a son. At this point, my son doesn't have complete agency, right? Like he can't make his own decisions. Jesus has complete agency. And so even the relationship, even the language we use around relationship, the Father and the Son, in our mind, like, does Jesus have freedom to act? I don't know. The Holy Spirit proceeds from these guys. Like, it, all of this language, like, we think it's just a translation, servant or son or whatever. Like, it's just a choice of words. Uh, when, when we're no longer, like, running for our lives, and being scared of the Romans killing us, we have more time to sit around and get in arguments over things. And one of the things we decided to get in an argument over is uh, how do these three parts of the Trinity relate to each other? And so we go back and we look at, at this kind of language and we say, oh, does that mean servant? Does it mean son? What does it mean son? Then Joseph's in this, like, it gets really hairy. Um, and so when you see something like that in Scripture, um, that maybe seems like just a word choice, but like at some point in church history, someone has probably been killed over that word choice. And this is an instance where that happens. Then we get into um, some of the language used that Peter was using, this very specific language. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God of our ancestors. Um... Where have we heard, where do we regularly hear that kind of language? 
God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Eucharistic prayer C. We did it all summer long, right? Um, the God of our fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I add in uh, Rachel, Leah, and Rebecca, which is not true um, to the original, because this isn't just a genealogy. When he says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's a title. Like that's an actual Jewish title for God. It's not just listing something off. And so when I add in the feminine names because of exactly what you talked about, the way that we um, have patriarchy in the church, like I'm going against, there's some people that would argue you shouldn't do that because it's taking away from a known title of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a lot of them, yeah. And so this is the significance of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It comes back from Exodus. Um, and so here, Peter is using very specific language that these folks are going to know, right? Like these folks understand references to Hebrew scripture like we reference Taylor Swift lyrics. Right? No, like... Like, we can, we can use a phrase just in passing. We don't have to cite it. We don't have to explain it. But we know. Like, you know everything around it. Uh, it's movie. You and your buddies with movie quotes, right? You can say, big gulp, huh? Well, see you later. Right? And, like, you know everything about it. It's not just a phrase. When Peter does that here, he knows that the people listening are going to understand everything about it. Not just God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to understand the connection to Exodus. They're going to understand the connection to um, Moses and everything that happened in all of that. So it's, it's loaded language. Um, so it draws the, meter to, the reader to the Exodus account, cast Jesus as the sacrificial Passover lamb. Yeah? The, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so this is in scripture. Uh, Abraham is where like, we start to be really certain that this is historical. Like all of that before that, um, there's some arguments that it's um, Jewish mythology of a sense. Right? Not mythology as in like dragons and, and, and fake thing and whatever, but like what is mythology? It's people trying to make sense and telling stories about how things came to be. They're not lies. They're not, you know, it's, it's people trying to understand. And so when we read the stories, uh, particularly early Genesis, Adam and Eve, even the flood, Tower of Bat, all of this, like there's an understanding that, that there's some historic tradition to it, like people have understood these things. Back then, people weren't necessarily arguing that those were factual things. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like we talk, who's the president in the apple tree? Is that Washington? Right? Cherry tree. Cherry tree, right? Did he have a cherry tree? Doesn't matter. It tells us something, right? Um, so here, it's kind of treated the same way. But when it comes to Abraham, that's when they started like the line of um, the, what's called the patriarchs, kind of the, the fathers, the, the leaders of, of the Jewish nation. Um, kind of before that, there, there wasn't. Well, you got to remember, everything was oral up until, you know, yeah. Luke started writing stuff down. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so he, like Abraham, becomes, right? You remember the the conversations that God and Abraham had, right? I will make you the father of many nations. Like there's even this understanding of the tradition that like the nation of Israel, not like the thing that's in conflict right now, but like the people, the Jewish people, that traces its lineage to Abraham being the father of that. And so there were people um, that we would have understood as being God's chosen before Abraham. But it's with Abraham and Sarah and the, the, um, the promise of their lineage that it starts to be um, the, the, the Jewish people start to understand themselves as set apart. So it kind of happens with them. There's stuff that happens before, but it's not seen as like authoritative, if that makes sense. Like Abraham's kind of the first one. That, that everyone agreed. And they go back to the scripture where it's, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. That's where it comes back to. And then Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, right? Those are um, Abraham's kids. And that's the idea that through Abraham being the father of many nations, it happened through the start of his children, who then um, the 12 tribes of Israel, all that flows from there. They trace their line back there. Kind of like... Um, in a sense, it's kind of like more myth-making, but Christopher Columbus discovering America. Like, we trace a lot to then. There's a lot of stuff around here that predates Columbus, right? Um, we, as our nation, understand our history as starting in 1492, in a sense, right? Collectively, kind of. Uh, but that, that, on one hand, discounts um, what happened before that. But but we have a better understanding now that like there are things that happened before 1492 and before like people discovered something um, that was already here. And so that's kind of a similar deal. It's like we, we pick a point in time in which we decide our history starts. The, the Jewish people do that as well. They pick the point in time with a person, um, which is where their history starts. Does that make sense? Another attribution Peter gives about Jesus, the Holy One, the Just One. We'll see this a lot more in Acts, so be paying attention, uh, particularly in the next couple of weeks when we get into chapters 4, and then after that. And then um, this also harkens back to on the cross, because you remember Barabbas, right? There's the idea that um, Jesus, the Holy One, the Just One, the Righteous One, the Blameless One, on the cross, that's really important. And basically, what Peter's saying is, you Jewish people, you traded a criminal for the just one. And so that gets back to, to the Christology of Jesus as the just one who took the place of us, took the place of the guilty one. Gets into there. Also gets in um, to the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. A lot of... Um, a lot of the early understanding of, of Jesus' sacrifice, of, of what happened on the cross, harkens back to, to Isaiah 53 and this idea of the suffering servant. A lot of the um, prophecy of Jesus that folks were looking for the Messiah, that's where it comes from, is 53. 
I think I'm spending more time on this than Gavin wanted because Gavin was really excited to teach the second part of Acts 3, which we may not even get to, so he can uh, do that next week. Yeah. Um, the author of life, right? This is um, a, a better translation for this might be prince rather than author because the idea isn't just... Um, a king or whatever, but the idea is like the beginning of something, right? It's not just someone who happens to take place in the line. Like we think of monarchies, like the next person up just kind of builds whatever. Like this, like even if the translation of um, prince or king, it's the sense that it's the first one, the beginning of that, that's starting this whole line. Well, that's where these translations, like the word, um, this here is um, archegos. That's a lot of times translated prince, but what we're, so that's maybe a better like literal translation. But we're getting, what we're trying to get here is not that it, Jesus just happens to be the next in line. Like, what do princes do to become princes? Literally nothing, right? Um, the idea is he's a catalyst. It's the beginning of something, um, which puts Jesus back in the position at, at the beginning, which gets to the, the uh, Christology of Jesus, right? As God's son, later on, we start to argue about things because we're not running for our life. We're like, well, was Jesus there in the beginning? Right? That becomes a real point of contention. Um, Peter's using language that, like, no, Jesus is the author, the beginner of life. John and his gospel, right? Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. That harkens back. So the gospel writers, Peter and Acts, they're using language that, so the early Christians kind of just understood that, that Jesus was there from the beginning. It became later on that, like, we start to argue over these things. Yeah, King? Um, it gets into what do you mean by better? Like a more literal is probably prince, but that misses something there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I still can't get over how articulate Peter now is. Oh my goodness! Like, like. That, I mean, the Pentecost, with uh, that transformation, just in Peter's ability to speak like this, is amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, you think about, we go, the last scenes we have of Peter, right? He's scared, he's hiding, he's, de he's denying, he's freaking out, right? Like, he's seen through the Gospels as kind of this bombastic guy who thinks before he, or acts before he thinks, and just goes. And something happens in that Pentecost moment, or in the resurrected Jesus, um, in his encounters there, that transforms him into, you know, the longest sermons you can think of, and powerful, and these understandings of things that, like, 
you know, we laugh because in the Gospels, it seems like the disciples don't get it. Like Jesus explains things and he has to explain them again. Then he has to explain what he meant by the explanations. Right? It seems really circular. They never really get it. In Acts, like they talk like maybe they were actually paying attention. Yeah. 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 I mean, this gets into like gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we'll talk about this at some point, but I mean, that's a real thing, right? Like Peter maybe wasn't the person you wanted standing up in front of a crowd speaking, but, you know, through uh, the Holy Spirit, he actually is now. There's more on the author of Prince of Life. Uh, in his name, this one's interesting, right? When do we use in his name? When we pray, right? It's not some magical invocation. It's not like if we don't pray in his name or whatever, that like it's not going to work. And we see this a lot in like public prayer, right? Like you go to a city council meeting. Um, Gavin preached at the Keller city council meeting this preached. Did I say preached? He prayed. Maybe he preached. I wasn't there. Uh, he prayed, he did the invocation at Keller City Council meeting. I can virtually guarantee you he did not pray in his name, right? Uh, he would pray in God's name, right? That's, that would be my understanding of, like, I know what I mean by that. I know, like, the shape of the, the God in whose name I'm praying. There are other Christian traditions that will say in Jesus' name or in his name when they do that kind of public prayer. It's not magic, right? It's not like the prayers don't work if we're not invoking Jesus' name. Spoiler alert, right? Like, so like we can actually stand in a room with our Jewish and Muslim brothers and sisters and siblings and pray and like not have to like hold our fingers crossed behind our backs and like hope that it works. Right? This isn't magic. Um, but it's an acknowledgement. Like there is power in Jesus' name. Like we can do like we all it's on the flip side, we don't like have to like shy away from the name of Jesus. Like when Gavin did it at, at Keller, when y'all ask him, he's probably going to be like, "Yeah, I prayed in Jesus' name." <laughs> in which case, this whole story's bogus. But when I pray at those things, I don't. The flip side of that is like I don't need to be afraid to, right? Like I don't, as a Christian, need to like. I do it as an act of charity to my neighbors because I, not everyone there is agreeing that we're doing the same thing. But like, I do pray in Jesus' name sometimes because there is power in that. I believe there's power in that. The phrases we use around it, that's all, there's no hocus pocus involved here. Um, okay, spoiler alert. He answered, I don't like how he does his slides because he asks a question, but then he gives the answer up there as well. I need to talk to him about his PowerPoint. What do y'all think? So we've talked about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We talked about the Holy One, the Just One. We've talked about the author of life. There's other attributions. There's other way Peter describes Jesus. What do y'all think, aside from what Gavin tells us, what do y'all think are uh, the significance of those? Yeah. Yeah. 
would, would this speech have worked as well outside the temple? Is there a significance that he's using this language inside the temple? They're going to understand that. Like if someone comes into the church and starts using like right to uh, BCP, Book of Common Prayer language in there, we're going to hear that differently than like you go down the street to some other church. And, right? and so part of this is Peter knowing his audience, knowing they're going to pick up on these references, knowing that these things are going to resonate with them. Uh, that becomes somewhat important because we get into... Um, who wants to read 17 through 26? Thanks. And now, brothers and sisters, I know the actual ignorance of what you all claim to do. You say God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, but as Messiah was suffering. Have therefore and turn to God for the presumption of your doubt, for the times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, so that we may turn to Messiah. We must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration of Messiah will stand for all the world. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you from your own people a prophet. Listen to whatever he tells you. And it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the land. All the prophets, as many as have spoken, Daniel and those after them, also predicted. You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant what do we hear in there? Yeah. Yeah, there's this understanding. Two things. One is like, I mean, he tells these people to repent. Right? Like, so there is this acknowledgement that they've done something for which they need to, to turn away and turn towards something else. Yeah. Is, it, is Peter still using Old Testament Hebrew scripture imagery? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's referencing Moses, Abraham. Yeah. Here's a list of all the times we told you or you were told. And after all this evidence, you still. Not just evidence, it's like he's telling you, told you it happened, told you it happened, told you it happened. Yeah. Kind of rich coming from Peter, right? Because <laughs> um, think about, like, right now he's thinking, oh, yeah, Jesus did that to us. Because right? think of all the times Jesus said, I must suffer and die. I must suffer and die. Last Supper, I must suffer and die. What does Peter do? Get behind me. Says no, and then there's this encounter, right? And so Peter was on the receiving end of, we told you, and we told you, and we told you. Then he finally gets it. And now he goes and writes the people who like learn late in life about something that they become kind of as zealots about it. We all know those people. But the moment they figure it out, they're going to tell you and tell you and tell you. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so, so Peter now gets it, for the most part. And so now he's going out and he's saying, 
you know, notice he doesn't like, maybe he should have been like, you know, I was in your boat too, like, yeah. like eight weeks ago. Um, but he's, he's just running with it. We've told you and we've told you and we've told you. What is it that we think he's reminding the people that Jesus told them? Uh, brings back, goes all the way back to Moses. Abraham comes up again, and that language about Abraham being the father of not just many nations, um, the language he uses is all nations. Because here, Peter's not just reminding that, like, remember he's talking to the Jewish people? He's saying, you Jewish people, this person came for you. These things went down. But now he's blowing up the whole operation. Right? This isn't just for the Jewish people. It's the universal restoration. The refreshing is the language he used. Um, early on in that section, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The time of universal restoration. Right? This isn't just someone's going to come in and um, overthrow the Roman government and put a new king in charge for Jews so that Jews will win. This isn't what Peter's talking about, because Peter's understanding that's not what Jesus was talking about. Even though not too long ago, Peter thought that's what Jesus was talking about. But he now gets it. This isn't just a Jewish restoration. This isn't just uh, God's chosen restoration. This is universal restoration. So when we look at this promise of restoration, it's important the way Peter approaches it. He says, uh, brothers and sisters, he's talking to family, right? He's not coming in as an outsider. He's not coming in as a Gentile saying, me, 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 me too, right? Like include me in this. He's someone in the family saying, we've got to rethink this whole thing. It's maybe not what we thought it was supposed to be. It's not just about us. Okay, time of refreshing. So um, here, the Greek, the refreshing is a catching your breath. Yeah. Which one? Anapsuxis? Yeah. Um, so it's not just like, I mean, think about those times we've needed to catch our breath. Right? Like, that's a visceral thing. Like, we know what that is. Like, we can't. When you need to catch your breath, like, there's a moment there that you can't do anything. Right? This isn't just, oh, I feel fine, and I'm going to feel a little more fine in this refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, you take these deep breaths, you see more clearly, you can think more clearly. Like everything is is more clearly. Um, and then kairos is the word here for time versus chronos, right? So it's, you know, chronos is like 
ten thirteen, which reminds me I have to finish real soon. Um, that's Chronos. Kairos is this time that's deeper than time. So Peter's not saying today, specifically, November 12th or 13th, whatever today is. He's not saying specifically this is the time. He's saying God's time. Now is God's time of taking a breath. And here is the word. We'll get through universal restoration just so I can steal Gavin's thunder and he can pick up after this next week. Um, so another Greek word that I'm not going to pronounce because it's as bad as the other one. Um, but it's the idea of the reign of God, perfect state, making all things new. That's language that will come about. Um, we prayed it yesterday at Lindell's funeral. Um, it is. Um, that'd be interesting to ask Gavin how those are connected because I'm not actually sure on that. Um, but the roots are certainly the same. The if the apocalypse is kind of the peeling back of what it might look like, right? The unveiling, as Gavin's taught us, um, this universal restoration, this reign of God is like stepping through that into this new thing in God's time, and um, it's a whole reign. It's not. Um, as the Jewish people were expecting someone who's going to come in and actually be like a, a literal king on the throne instead of Caesar. It's this reign of God. It's this kingdom of God that's bigger than that. And then um, the word for new, like that, that's not, there's no hedging there. It's everybody. This isn't, oh, it's everyone who can say this magic word, who prays in Jesus' name. It's not everyone who gets baptized. It's not everyone who does anything that we want to say you got to do. This word unequivocally means all. It means universal. Yeah. Any questions about this? We'll pick up. Um, that probably didn't get us all the way through Acts 3. Um, but as you know, we're slow going through Acts. Any questions about this? Does anyone disagree? Does anyone think this should just be about Episcopalians? <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes up. Yeah, we might take him out and stone him. Yeah. Not that kind of stone. All right, cool. Thanks for letting me play along for a week. Um, Gavin will be back next week, and we'll keep trucking through here. And I see they're setting up. We got some chili. We got some other stuff. It's going to be a big day. So I hope y'all are sticking around after the 1030 service. Thanks, y'all.